The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. On April 20th, experts gathered to discuss how Alberta's planned extended producer responsibility policy will impact service providers. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, the RCA's Executive Director, Christina Seidel, leads a discussion with service providers who collect and manage products and packaging for waste management and recycling. The podcast discusses the changes in the service provider's role that comes with province-wide EPR implementation, including examples from BC and Ontario, the balance of competition with the risk of creating monopolies, the amount of time required to adapt to changes, how to manage existing contracts, and designated materials. Panelists include Al Matero from Cascades, Tony Mokachen from Merlin Plastics, and Peter Hargreave with Policy Integrity, Inc. So today we are going to be talking about the impacts of EPR on uh, service providers. Service providers for recycling um, as well as collection systems. So now we are going to go over to our esteemed panel. And I have to say, when I when we put this, this webinar together, uh, we thought it was such a smart idea because we absolutely had to cover this area because service providers are not just a key player in EPR, but they are potentially also strongly influenced. So we knew that we had to cover this, but I have to tell you, it was actually a little bit of a challenge finding people who were willing to step up and have this conversation in a more public forum. But we landed where we wanted to land because at the end of the day, we ended up with my two favorite recyclers on the whole planet, as well as our knight in shining armor from Ontario. So thank you so much, Al, Tony and Peter for agreeing to do this. And I know we're going to have a fantastic conversation. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with just a, a brief intro from each of our panelists to just give us a bit of an overview of their experiences with EPR as it relates to service providers and any sort of high level recommendations that they want to leave with us. We're, it's just going to be a couple minutes, but it just gives us a really good foundation then for the discussion we're going to have after. So we are actually going to start with Tony. So Tony McCatchen, you all know him as Merlin Plastics, obviously, um, very well known in the industry, lots of experience, and certainly the largest plastic recycler because they have grown to over 1 million square feet of operations in BC. And they also have plants, sister plants located in Alberta, California, and Oregon. So over to you, Tony, for to just give us a couple of minutes in terms of your overall impressions. Well, I, uh, I truly believe in the concept, philosophical concept of extended producer responsibility. I mean, it's, this is a concept that I think took birth in, in, in Canada with, uh, with a beverage container uh, brand owner taking responsibility for their beverage container, and it led to a great uh, recycling rate there. Uh, philosophically, the concept is great. It set up uh, specific target and goals for a brand owner to meet. And we all know, regardless of what, uh, what you want to achieve, it all starts by measuring. You start measuring what you need to achieve and get serious about it, and, and you execute it. So I am very much uh, pro-EPR uh, conceptually, philosophically, and uh, you know, it's uh, we all have a role to play. 
organizations like EPR have a role to play, government have a role to play to set up targets, gives them specific goal to reach, and, and EPR basically organization going to execute those goals. But you have to have a goal and you have to have uh, an execution team. Yeah. I, I have good experience with EPR, so that's all I have. You know, I look forward to questions. Fantastic. Thanks, Tony. That's great. Yes, and there will be lots of questions. So thank you. Look, looking forward to that conversation with you. So now I'm going to turn it over to Al Mataro. Most of you know him um, through Cascades. And with his role in Cascades, he really helped to lead uh, the development of Green by Nature, which was a group of recyclers that came together to manage the entire post-collection system in BC under the EPR system. So brings lots of experience and will have, I'm sure, lots of perspective on that. So over to you, Al, for your background overview. Well, thank you, Christina, and thank you for um, asking me to join this panel. Uh, you know, I think the collection and post-collection service providers play an important role in executing you know, the collection of, uh, and processing of residential paper and paper packaging. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, my lessons learned from a, from a similar experience which uh, Christina has mentioned from BC. Uh, that was seven years ago when I, it's a long time, but um, there's certainly a lot of things that we can, we can address uh, in, in future EPR. Uh, and of course, the subject matter is uh, its home as well because we have processing facilities in Alberta, and I'm sure that's going to have an impact on the way we conduct business, uh, you know, both negotiated um, the way we negotiate our, our contracts and execute in the future. Um, I'd like to uh, take a second and just look at some of the points to keep in mind as we go through this conversation today. Um, with EPR and particularly the direction EPR is going, I think the collection and post-collection um, uh, service providers or supply chain become part of the system. So basically, we, 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 you know, it's, it's no longer an individual organization that takes care of everything, but we're part of the system. And that system is most likely going to be managed by an entity. Um, there is discussion about several entities, but um, maybe we can have that, uh, you know, we can discuss that further today. If the, you know, What's the possibility of more than one entity being able to manage an entire system? And keeping in mind that, that the entity that then will control, you know, the recovery rates, uh, set the rules um, for those, uh, for the way business is done, um, it will also look at, uh, you know, the materials that are being collected, how they're going to be collected, two-stream, single-stream, depots. Um, it will control the commodities that are generated and at the end of the day be financially responsible for all the costs of the system. Uh, it's a huge undertaking. I, I think that's something that we always overlook. We just look at, you know, what we know as far as collecting and processing. But when you look at an entire system now, you're going to be managing all the movements within a province from all of the locations that generate residential fibers. So collecting logistics that go with that, uh, coping with the challenges of inbound materials, uh, you know, ensuring processes and meeting the, the standards that, that have to be met um, and, and managing the cast of characters that make up this great industry of ours as well. Um, and, you know, it, and finally, and most importantly, you know, managing consistent uh, movement of materials. But I think the one thing that really came to light in BC for us was the full transparency that's required. And it's something that obviously in our, um, you know, in our industry that doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily at the forefront, but um, it certainly will be in an EPR program. Transparency, reporting, real-time data, uh, very critical. 
And lastly, keeping in mind that seven years later, EPR is truly impacted also by this concept of circular economy. We heard, you know, you hear about this all the time. But and so circular economy is going to play a role in that in how EPR uh, managers address how they're going to conduct business now uh, in light of having to you know carry out the uh, tasks for the producers they represent, but also uh, in that task uh, somewhat guaranteeing or promoting um, a circular uh, uh, result for the products that are collected. And if not, then it's you know most likely going to be the same old. And, you know, so it's either, you know, we're going to reboot the system and look at looking at making the changes, or we're just going to collect, pay for the collection and carry on business. So very important to understand really what is it that we're going to do at the end of this, this, uh, this thing. And so um, that's it. I think, uh, well, you know, I, as Tony said, I, I'm, I'm anxious to, to, to share conversation and, and answer questions, uh, maybe ask a few questions as well. So um, over to you, Christina. Fantastic, thanks, Al. Okay, now order over to Peter. Peter Hargrave, uh, we, we know him as being a policy expert, one of the foremost policy experts across the country on government policy at various levels um, from federal right down to municipal. And it's great to have Peter because um, as, as you've been hearing, things are it's transpiring slightly different in Ontario. And so Peter brings that perspective and knowledge so that we can talk about not just what's already happened in BC and other places, but what potentially might be happening in Ontario. So over to you, Peter, for your backgrounder. Thanks, Christina. And thanks, <clears throat> thanks to the RCA for, for having me. It's, uh, I think it's really important that uh, the sharing happens between, between the various provinces. There's a lot I think we can learn from, from each other. Um, so I come at this from an entirely different perspective than, uh, than Tony and Al. Uh, I'm not a service provider, uh, but I have worked with dozens of companies and, and municipalities uh, over the years to ensure that EPR policies work as they're intended to work. Uh, so this includes collectors and recyclers for tires, batteries, electronics, household hazardous waste, and, uh, and PPP. Um, I've seen firsthand how these regulations can allow companies to thrive. Uh, and also I can, I've seen how they have led to certain companies' demises. So uh, I think there's a lot uh, that, that can be done right. Uh, and there are certainly some, some um, big flags to watch for. Um, so to me, if I was looking at this from a service provider perspective, uh, to me, there's you know, roughly four overarching objectives uh, that I think service providers should want to, to make sure um, are, are covered in, in, in any type of EPR uh, framework. First is you want to ensure that it's increasing demand for your services. So uh, ensuring that uh, diversion collection and, and processing um, are going to be optimized in, in, in whatever that uh, regulation is. You want to ensure that there's the ability to compete through a level playing field. So ensuring that there's proper oversight and enforcement in place um, and that you're allowed to uh, uh, compete effectively. You want to ensure that there's appropriate time for all entities to plan. And I can talk about that in a little bit more depth, depth later, but you know, if there's not enough time to plan, uh, then you know, everyone is, is put offside as a result of that. And then the rules need to be absolutely clear and allow for, for innovation. 
So, so with those objectives in mind, uh, to me, then what, what do service providers need to focus on? Uh, the first thing they need to focus on is what is the design of the regulation? What are the targets in that regulation? What are the reporting requirements, standards, definitions? What are the designated uh, materials? And is there ability for, uh, what are the abilities for competition and innovation within that structure? Uh, the second thing is, is implementation timeline. So what's the time between when the regulation actually passes and the new requirements coming into effect? What are the provisions for oversight and enforcement? And then, you know, from a service provider's perspective, ensuring that there's a clear understanding of what those new requirements are, what the new relationships and partnerships might be. And there is, I think, a real need for companies to understand that this is, and municipalities to understand this is a different uh, way of doing business. And there's a need to start having conversations early between the various parties uh, to make sure that you understand how you're going to play in this new environment, how you're going to compete and thrive in this new environment. So to me, it's, again, those are the, the, the objectives. This is the areas that need to focus on as, as service providers uh, move into this uh, new regime. Great. Thanks, Peter. Really appreciate that. This has really set the stage nicely. Um, and I know we have some service providers on the call as well. So I'm looking forward to getting some of your questions too. So uh, we are watching the chat box. So keep your questions coming. I see they've already been coming in, which is great. Um, so to start, I think I just want to start with a fairly high level question for, for all of you. And that is the idea of the role that service providers play, because we know what the what role they play now in our system. And I, I, I just want a perspective from you, and partly on your experience, as to how do you see that role potentially changing, or do you see it not changing? What are the impacts that those service providers are going to experience in terms of their role? So if we can maybe just start with you, Al. Yeah. The impacts are that currently there's a little bit more reliance on the service provider or the supply chain to manage and deal with all the issues related to collection, processing, and marketing. And so that will start, that will change because it will be collection will be on its own and, and, and governed accordingly. The post collection system is, you know, managed uh, on its own and the rules are set uh, by, by the uh, the, the entity that's managing the, the system. Um, and depending on and, and the, the marketing of the materials as well are going to be able to be consolidated, sold by the system and not no longer um, relied on uh, for uh, the processors or the processors to, to, to manage. So it's a bit of a change where you, you have a distinct role, I believe, as, as it moves forward. Uh, either you're a collector, you're a processor, or downstream processor in the system, um, and the entity manages the materials through through that system on behalf of their um, uh, their their clients, if you will, or the producers they represent. So, Al, just as a as a follow up to that, are you, basically what you're saying is is there will be more delineation between collection and post collection? Is that is that one of the outcomes? Yes. Yes. Okay. No, that's fantastic because that's certainly a difference that uh, that that I think we will notice. Tony, um, maybe you can just give us your perspective on on how the role changes for the service provider. 
I mean, uh, what I have seen myself is that uh, before uh, EPR came in, just like Kazer mentioned, there was uh, inconsistency in terms of uh, service, in terms of product collected from municipality to municipality. Each municipality collected what they feel is they should be collecting. So, I mean, if you don't know what your feedstock is coming to you as a processor, you won't be able to deal with it properly. Post-EPR, I mean, there was a clear line what is acceptable in a blue box, what is to be collected. So we can be prepared for it and deal with it accordingly. Not to say that everybody is going to follow the rules, but at least there are rules. Better to have rules, even if it's not going to be followed, than not to have any rules. This was a positive. This was a positive thing that, that it's consistent, consistency over, over all the program. Uh, the other thing is that it was before out of sight, out of mind. I mean, what happened to the product was maybe known, maybe unknown. Uh, you know, I mean, now there's, it's, there's, more, there's more accountability, more accountability, more transparency. Uh, I mean, without, without you know, in, infringing and, and, and taking, uh, taking uh, preparatory information. I mean, it, but it's just, it knows what's happening with the product uh, and uh, how is it being dealt with in accordance mm-hmm. with, the law of, with the law of the environmental and labor laws of, of the land we live in. So, so, I mean, this is all positive, positive stuff. And again, uh, economy of scale. It's also provide an economy of scale of consistent product versus uh, this. Those are three important things. The economy of scale, the consistency of the raw material coming in. And uh, it's important. Doing the job is important, but how you do it is equally important. There is some also responsibility at how you perform your job. Where before it was out of sight, out of mind. Right. That's fabulous, Tony. So what you're saying is what you saw is under EPR, the system becomes more transparent, more accountable. That's that's really important, especially hearing that from a service provider. Yeah, it's more more. I mean, again, it's, uh, you, it's, it's good to, to, to share information. It's just that, you know, it's not micromanaged. You don't want to turn into a, an extreme. Every extreme is bad. So between okay. transparency and micromanagement, is, there's a big, there's a word. Okay, got it. So I think Tony, Tony picks up on a good point. I mean, I, I think to me, I, I would I would take, um, you know, I think the requirements of what is expected in an EPR regime change. Um, there is much more requirement for rigor within the system to make sure the materials are getting managed properly and that they're being properly processed. Um, depending on how the regulation is set up, the role may change slightly in that, service providers may have more opportunities to innovate um, and drive outcomes uh, through a different means. Um, But generally, I I don't think that the roles of service providers change uh, substantially within within an EPR system. They still, there is going to still be a purchaser. It may not be government anymore, local governments purchasing from service providers. It will be the producers themselves that will, and they will say, bid on this and here's the requirements that you need to fulfill and those requirements within that epr system are going to be much more rigorous than they would be for uh for uh, potentially what most local governments are asking for at this time great thanks peter um and peter in terms of the role the roles that service providers play um i mean you're talking about how fundamentally really that isn't 
changing that much. Um, is there anything in terms of where Ontario is headed that would, would make that different than would be the situation here? Um, so there is potential in the Ontario system for, um, you know, uh, service providers to potentially pay, play more of a, um, a role to help uh, uh, producers uh, discharge their obligations or the outcomes that are set within that regulation. But again, I, I don't really see much of a change. I think what we're going to see in, in, in Ontario is, again, producers are going to uh, uh, probably contract out servicing uh, or collection um, uh, and processing that those contracts may look somewhat different and be done slightly differently than, than municipalities, but largely it's going to look very similar to what it does today. Okay, and that then that kind of leads us to the, one of the questions that, that came from discussions that we've had with some of our members um, around the whole idea of, of is, there, is there a danger of there being like a winner-take-all approach that, that's going to lead to, to essentially monopolies um, for service provision and, and whether that's a concern going forward. And, and that then also would suggest that is there is there the possibility, and I think Peter, you'd alluded to this, as some of the smaller service providers suffering through this. Um, so Peter, if you can start with that and then I'll, I'll come to you, Al and Tony. I think there's always a, a danger in, in a winner takes all type of approach. And I think, I think you know, municipalities can look at their own tendering and how they've done it over the years. Um, you know, certainly in Ontario, you can see where uh, municipalities have moved out with larger and larger collection contracts and larger and larger processing contracts. And at a time, at a point, that loses, absolutely loses its efficiency and you lose players in the marketplace by doing so. So there is, I think, uh, certainly a lesson learned to say that you need to find the right balance in how contracts are let to ensure that you've got a healthy environment for which different companies uh, can compete with each other. Um, I, I think that's a really important factor to how the producers go about uh, tendering out. And I think there's a lot they can learn from, from municipalities over the years. So Peter, just for what you're saying then is that that really isn't necessarily happening because of EPR, it's happening because of the changes in procurement. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I think, so there's been a lot, a lot learned over the years about how to go about doing that. Um, you, you know, there is the waste sector is always going through sort of waves of consolidation and then breaking apart and consolidating and back and forth, right? I think we see this sort of regular cycle happen within the waste sector. I think as you start to move towards an EPR um, model in, in Alberta, that's probably going to be, create larger economies of scale. That potentially then does create some opportunities where larger companies may decide that they want to enter the marketplace where it's largely only being dominated by very small companies. So that might encourage some more um, uh, competition that may encourage uh, some consolidation to happen. But I think, you know, whoever is running that system, whether it be municipalities currently or whether it be producers in the future, you know, keeping markets healthy and ensuring that there's lots of collectors out there and there's lots of processors out there, I think is very important um, as they go out and purchase. Okay, great. No, that's great. So Al, I'm going to turn that question, the whole monopoly question over to you now, because arguably you were part of a big monopoly in BC. 
So um, can you comment on the whole, the, the, the potential dangers around this, this monopoly type approach emerging and how that affects the smaller players? Certainly. I, wow. Um, first of all, I don't think we were part of a large monopoly and I'll touch that on that in a second. But uh, when we talk about monopoly though, um, the, you know, the, there's the, the, the entity or the agency that's running the program and the, the monopoly that exists in, in that sector, all right? And then you look at, okay, is there a monopoly then, potential monopoly on the service sector or the, the supply chain for the services? And so, and, and it was a great, great situation, great question because we were, when we started in BC, this concept of monopoly right at the forefront because everything and everything, everything you know, that anybody did was considered a monopoly. When we put um, Green by Nature together, um, it, it in fact was, was the opposite of the monopoly. Green by Nature was set up to just manage the contract or, or manage contract and ancillary services that are, would be required as a result of this NPR, meaning the movement of materials from one, one, uh, one processor to another, uh, potentially, um, the marketing of the materials, the logistics behind moving all those materials, um, and also uh, making change. Uh, so what people may not realize is that we made a major change in British Columbia when we actually started the program, and this is something to consider as well, is there opportunity for change? And that change was that we didn't expect every single MRF operator to be able to do everything all the time. In other words, to sort everything. And we recognized, or I did anyway, from our standpoint and being in the industry, is that one of the greatest challenges is that, you know, unfortunately for our country, we have a lot of small pockets of, of municipalities that do not generate hundreds of thousands of tons a year of material or tens of thousands of tons a month. They're small players. And so how do you continue to work with the small players and, and, and ensure that the level of service can be uh, continued to be provided throughout the province? And so what we did is we just, we, 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 um, created what we called a, a conditioning facility where all you had to do was separate fibers and containers. And this is how, how we got Merlin involved in the, in the, in the province to, to build out a container plant where all the investment was made there so that the smaller players didn't have to, have to be so detailed. So all these changes then were there really to ensure that A, we could continue to innovate or, or, or provide better services and then B, ensure that as many players as necessary could still be in the, in, in, in the market. We didn't do it to keep everybody busy. It, we created an efficient system, which allowed then, for the most part, the players to continue. So the monopoly then uh, is, 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 is first, as I said, with, with the agency, put that aside. But there is a chance of monopoly then in the service provider. And and so now the movement out of in, in BC, and I'm not saying it's 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 a monopoly or not, but the chances are, if one company does run all of the service, then it does, to Peter's point, start car, you know chipping away at, at 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 the other players that are in the market because their their existence relies solely then on the dominant player, who's only going to be concerned about themselves. So there's a conflict of interest that arises in this. And we need to avoid that conflict of interest and put, put the control, you know, either the agency has to have good control of it or there has to be some means of managing that, you know, that for sure that 
there are many, as many players invited to participate as possible all the time for the benefit of the producer more than anything so that the producer knows they've got a strong infrastructure and uh, players that are going to uh, provide services at, you know, at, at the best cost uh, and, and most innovative way. Great. So the monopolies, yes, absolutely. I, you can see a trend you know, that could potentially um, come, to, come, come to light as a result of, uh, of the EPR. Okay, no, I appreciate that. And, and really appreciate your point too, that let's remember there's the other level of monopoly too at the producer side that the monopoly isn't, doesn't just happen at the service provider side, it, it happens at the producer end as well. So I, that was a very important point, Al, I appreciate that. So Tony, over to you then on this whole question of, of especially, I mean, you watched this all unfold in BC, the, how, how do you feel about the concerns around monopolies and, and how did you see the smaller players affected? I mean, to me, it's regardless of uh, at what level producer or recycler or collectors or service provider. I mean, there is two things there is you, you have to look at. One is uh, economy of scale and one is, you know, a uh, uh, competitiveness. But when you look at the size of a market that is four million people, you may have different approaches than a markets that have 15 million people or 30 million people. So you want to be able to provide economy of scale. You know, I don't know. I mean, if, if, a, if, a, if, if a population and I haven't studied it of 4 million people can have five or six, uh, you know, EPR organization. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an EPR expert, but I mean, there is, you want to have economy of scale and that's the same time you want to be able to provide good services to your community. I mean, the objective of the EPR is, number one, to provide good service to the community, and two is to uh, to do it at a cost-effective manner. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I don't know if, if, if it's, it's, there is one single answer. I mean, it's a hybrid answer. Well, how would you design it for 40 million people uh, population versus of uh, you know a ten or five million people population, it may be different. You want to have economy of scale. You want to have industries that can deliver, that can compete at the world scale. So I mean, and you want them to invest. I mean, nobody's going to invest if he doesn't have certain volume. So if you take yeah. away this volume away from 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 a company, regardless of what industry they are in, I mean, they have no incentive to 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 invest. So, you know, it's a, it's a fine line and I'm not saying that I do have an answer, but I believe that to me, it's very important that everybody has a role to play and play it and, 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 uh, and check and balances. And, uh, and uh, uh, there, are, there are good monopolies, there's bad monopolies. There is good, uh, you know, it's, it's how you manage it. It's, 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 it's a concept, EPR concept is great, but I mean, is it? Economy of scale concept is great, but the, the, the devil is in the details. I mean, are you are you are you going to be yeah, able yeah. to produce? To pro, are you going to be able to deliver to the community what they are looking for or not? I mean, if you're doing it, great. If you can yeah, do yeah. it, regardless of it's a monopoly or not monopoly, it's not good. Yeah, and I really appreciate Tony your 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 comment on really we need to balance. There's the whole competitiveness issue. But there's also this economy of scale issue, and that's certainly something we deal with in Alberta because of our size. So 
making sure that we have enough economy of scale to actually have an effective system is important. So that's such a good point. Thank you. So, I mean, it's a, it's a struggle when you want to have an, an economy of scale, you need a certain volume and you, at the same time you're saying, I want to split the pie. Okay, I mean, if you split the pie, you may lose the economy of scale you're seeking. Right. Yeah. So seems, no, seems like a seems like a good argument for for Alberta to add uh, ICNI and multi-res. <laughs> well, it's not. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not talking about specifically Alberta. I'm just talking about concept. No, no, concept no, is no. It needs to yeah. be. I'm not providing any advice specifically on this subject to Alberta. I'm just talking philosophically. I mean, it's because I struggle with it intellectually. I mean, yeah. I say, okay, you know, how how yeah. how can I do it? economically if i don't have the volume right well and and but appreciate that comment peter because that has come up before the whole idea of one of the reasons to potentially include ici is is to build that economy of scale so it's a, it's a very good point and i i know that the government is going to be hearing that opinion a bit for sure so peter while we have you i just want to there's a yeah. question that's come in for you that I, I think the others can comment on as well, this whole idea of timing. Um, by, by implementing EPR, is there an issue of timing and in terms of giving the market time to really adjust and be ready for EPR in terms of making sure that, that we get the right results? Can, can you comment on that timing piece? And, and Al and Tony, I'm gonna ask you to comment as well. Yeah. Um... So we're, we're seeing this in Ontario right now. Um, we're, we're getting regulations uh, passed that are coming sort of two months before implementation date, uh, the, the, the actual implementation date. So the, the stewards don't know what their obligations are. The service providers don't know what they're investing or, or getting ready for. Municipalities have to adjust their tenders. And there's no time in that sort of two months to actually properly plan things out, you know, so, you know, there is a, a real need to make sure that there is a long enough period of time to ensure all of the parties can plan appropriately for uh, systems like uh, PPP. Um, municipalities already have a good sense as to how long it takes to get uh, a contract put together um, to, to, um, uh, or to put out the tender, um, and then the lead-up time that uh, that companies need to then um, uh, set set the system up, the collection system or or the processing system. That's that's a year uh, type of a timeline. Uh, for other materials, it may be less uh, than PPP, but the, there needs to be an allowance for that time. Otherwise, there are huge potential cost consequences for everybody in the system. And nobody likes, whether it's a municipality, whether it's a service provider or a steward, nobody likes uncertainty. And so when something drops and they're not able to properly plan for it, that's not good for any of those business parties. No, that's great. Thanks, Peter. I think that's that's a very important point. Um, Al, I wonder if you can comment on the timing that you experienced in, in BC. And Tony, I'll ask you that as well. Whether whether it seemed to work or, or what you would suggest in terms of allowing enough enough time for the market to adjust. Yeah, when we, uh, so when you go back to what happened in BC, um, and, and so not, not a lot changed. And, and fortunately, um, the partnership in GBN that's, that supported GBN were also contractors and, and major contractors in the, in the system. 
So to make change happen, it was, was rather easy because we all agreed to do it and we would do it. So we didn't have to convince 25 different processors to, to follow suit. So we had an idea, we made a change. And so that virtually nothing, nothing, nothing really changed that on, on, on this, the transition uh, date, uh, the municipalities what, or, or the contractors that were picking were doing the collection, community collection, the post-collection system, and, and the folks that were involved with that continued to do that. Some more were hired to, to, to make movements. So, so basically, if nothing's going to change, then the transition is not that difficult because you're utilizing the same infrastructure and just taking the, you know, the costs and handing them over to someone else and say, okay, now you manage the system. And then over time, then you can change that system. So really timing then is, if, if there's not going to be any dramatic change. So, you know, you're not going to come in and say, all right, well, moving forward, uh, you know, we're going to take all rigid containers and they're going to go on deposits. Uh, we're going to take glass. It's going to get out of the system. You know, we're going to make some dramatic changes that virtually affect how a facility operates or how the system operates. Then, we will need more time. Obviously, we're going to need a lot more time. You know, so, you know, logically, you're going to you're going to have to make make time for that. But I think what's critical here is what is going to happen. What is going to happen? Are there changes or not? And and if there are changes, what are the changes? And when do we know about them? Because I think really that's what's critical in 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 making or, or, or deciding what timelines we would need. Okay, brilliant. Uh, no, that's that's awesome. So it's really about understanding what the system's going to look like, and and then that determines the what the timing needs to be. That that's fantastic, Al. Appreciate that. Um, Tony, what do you think a around the timing issue? I think you have to provide, you know, you have to provide the proper time for 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 uh, for service provider and for community and for municipality to be able to, you know. To get where they need to get, uh, first thing is uh, got to in clearly identify the scope of work that is going to be required throughout the province. It's going to be the same scope of work for for all, and uh, and provide them the right time to do it. And it's important to provide the right time and and just define both the scope of work and provide the time according to the scope of work you're designing. I mean, if you're changing the system upside down, is one timeline you're going to need. If it's going to be a smooth transition, it's a different timeline. So the first thing I would start with is define the scope of work I'm going to be requiring from, from, from the service provider. Based on this, I then I'll set the time timeline. Okay. It has to yeah, be reasonable. They, they have to match. Yeah. Yes, for sure. It needs to be reasonable, for sure. So, so this, this then completely raises a question that is almost a little bit of the, an elephant in the room as to existing contracts that municipalities already have. Um, and they're asking that question already in Alberta. Well, you know, what do we do with the contracts that we have? Like, do we extend them? What do we do? So you guys are the service providers. What do you think municipalities should be doing with those existing contracts? Starting with you, Al. Wow, um, interesting. The um, so existing contracts. If if there's going to be EPR, we know it's coming, and so unless we know what changes there are, how do you issue a new contract? So if municipality goes out tries to issue a contract because there's a year, you know, a year left in the contract or two years left in the contract, well, how do you write this? 
because now you're asking somebody to specifically bid on and build your desire. And so that, that's, that, that's a challenge. As for existing contracts moving forward and being picked up by the new system, then there should be no fear of, of, of the contract or, or the cost because they were all bid out, they were all part of a, you know, of a process that yielded the best bid, the best cost uh, for, you know, for the services. And so if you take them over at the point, then it's the same, same services are gonna exist, there's gonna be no change. And in time, whatever entities or entity or entities exist can then decide on how they wanna make the change, put a new bid out, state what, what changes they want in the, in, in the new, if, if at all, in a new process. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's the status quo can easily be transferred. Changing the status quo then is a time thing that depends on whoever took over and what they desire at the end of the day. But to issue new contracts, unless you know what, what's expected, it's not going to be fair to the, to, to the service providers or the bidders or, or, you know, to find out two years from now that their contract's null and void after making an investment. Would you have a similar comment around, say a municipality is looking at, at adding a new program? Um, would, would, is that similar or would you suggest that that needs to be put on hold? Now, adding a new program or adding or enhancing the program? Or, yeah, I, yeah, you're right, either or. Yeah, so again, um, you know, it, What's, what's the timeline for EPR? So if it's, a, you know, five, if it's in the next couple of years, there, there should be a, a point of freezing all activities and to allow the change to be regulated and, and then implemented and set date. Um, and then from there on, then, you know, the, the, the new entity will take over and make the changes that are necessary. It's all redundant work. At, it'll be redundant. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if this, in fact, is happening. If it's not, then, then that's another argument. Mm -hmm. Tony, how, what, would you, what advice would you give to municipalities around uh, the contracts that they have? You're asking me a legal question. I don't have the skills that Al has, but, uh, but I mean, it's, uh, you, you have to honor the contract you've got and uh, deal with your service provider honorably. What can I say? Uh, that's what okay, I would okay. do. Okay, I don't okay. have... Uh, I mean, you, whatever agreement you have, you have to, 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 to treat it properly i just i just uh, use a simple rule the golden rules that my 10 years old kids teach me do to them what you want them to do to you so follow be honorable with them okay that's brilliant tony thank you peter i know you have opinions yeah. on this uh so i mean um you know the first thing is you, you know the province needs to get out in front of this um and they need to as soon as possible signal broadly as to where they're going. When is this transition going to take place? Um, you know, what materials are included into the, in, um, are designated. Uh, they want to send as many signals as possible early on so that people have time to plan. Um, I think the municipalities want to be talking to their service providers um, early, having those conversations to understand uh, the, the sort of what if types of scenarios. Um, if they are going out to bid, um, uh, there is certainly, um, Ontario has sort of been going through this already. So if, if uh, people want to look at the continuous improvement fund, 
uh, their website. Uh, I think it's CIF.org or something along those lines. Uh, but the Continuous Improvement Fund has put up suggestions for municipalities as to how they look at dealing with, with uh, new contracts that they might be, be letting out. Um, I, I would say to you, the more uncertainty there is, the more clauses that you add to contracts that add risks for service providers, for collectors or processors, the more of those you add, the more you're going to see your costs go up. Um, and so, you know, there is a potential price premium that's going to get pushed associated with some of the uncertainty that moving to this new regulation is going to be. So as much as the government can get ahead of that, the province, um, the better. Just uh, oh, That's brilliant. Go, go ahead, Al. I'm, I'm sure Heather was writing, you know, desperately know as we were talking. Just, uh, so. a, a comment on, on the designated material. You know, I, I think that's important to understand what the designated materials are. Uh, you know, we hope that the regulations are going to look at all in the case of printed paper and packaging that, you know, it's all printed paper and packaging that is responsible and has to fall into the UPR program. But, but keeping in mind that what's more critical than that is that how is the new entity going to promote collecting those materials? Because, for example, in, 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 in BC, you know, glass, film, plastic, and polystyrene were all taken to depots. So they were pulled out of the system and, go to, and, and then, you know, taken to the depot. Um, and, and there could be any combination of ways of, of collecting those materials. So that that's critical as well, because if you're designing for the, a plant that's going to process those materials and then make the changes occur later, then you know, these are the types of things that you know, are, 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 are gonna be re, not redundant, but costly in the long run. Um, and, and that depends- on such a short time frame. Now that depends completely on how prescriptive the regulation is. So does the regulation say you have to collect this whole assortment of materials at the curb or do they say i don't care how it's collected just capture 60 percent of it uh, or wh whatever that that title is and and that really that will have an impact um and and obviously impacts uh, commercial contracts that that municipalities might have uh if they've got a set list of materials that are supposed to so, be collected well let, let's 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 challenge that uh, point um is it the government's um, responsibility to make the decision on how things are collected? Or should they just say, guys, there's EPR in Alberta. You guys that are that put materials into our province, this is what you need to accomplish. I don't care how you do it. Go out with a wheelbarrow door to door and collect your material. It doesn't matter to me. This is what you need to achieve. Deal with it. Uh, because it's very critical. Because then it restricts the, the, the brand owners as well to a very specific program. And, you know, is the blue box the answer for everything? And I think Ontario's got that problem now because it, it's, it's stuck it in the forefront and said, doesn't matter who you are, you still got to use the blue box and pay for it. And maybe, maybe there's another way to do things. And, you know, that, that's probably, you know, a lot more efficient. So you, you, where's the flex, who's going to have the flexibility? You want the brand owners who are paying for it to have the flexibility to do, you know, to do what they want. I, I think anyway, I, so. It's a really good point. I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, it, yeah, ultimately it would be great if you allowed as much flexibility as possible, but you know, the almighty politics plays a pretty heavy role. And if, uh, you know, I know in Ontario, it's the question if, 
you know, Toronto residents can't continue to put the same materials in their blue box, they're going to lose their minds uh, if they have to go to a depot instead. So that's really going to depend, I think, on some of the politics of how convenient do um, uh, does the province want to make the program? Because um, certainly there are materials that you would say, you know, these are just not the best materials to collect collect uh, a curbside in a basket of goods. It's, it's you know nobody wants to see film uh, generally added into the into the blue box system. Uh, it's a pain in the butt to to uh, to process. So you know you're going to have those types of concerns, and, and it's sort of where does the politics and where does the uh, 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 flexibility sort of meet? Okay, no, that's that's a very good point. Tony, how about you in terms of this whole issue of, of outcomes based and then letting the producer figure out the best way to accomplish what they've been charged to do? Um, are, are you, from a, from a processor's point of view, is that the right approach? Well, I mean, innovation, you, you don't want to put anybody in a... Innovation is good at all levels. It's good uh, to, uh, to at, at the collection level, I mean blue box or green box or whatever it is or depot or I mean it's good to examine all options and uh, going through this exercise can only be positive you know provided that everybody's working in good face with the same agenda so I think it's uh, how it's being collected uh, what, whatever suits look as far as we're concerned I mean I feel that it's up to the to, to, to the community to decide how they want their packaging to be to be uh, to be collected, and what gives them the best result. You know, for some packages, deposit is probably the best way. For others, it can be blue box. For for third one, it could be a return to a depot. For so they may be. It's not uh, black and white. I see it as a hybrid. I see lots of color, not only one or two. Uh, and then and, and you should give them the flexibility. Our objective really is to make sure that packaging doesn't end up in our natural environment. What methodology are you going to use to achieve this result? It's a complete different, you know, it, 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 you know, it, 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 it may not, it's not the same for each packages. It can be different okay. from package to package. And, uh, and this is something that need to be, but there are proven systems. There are proven systems. There are systems that are giving you eighty percent return, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Alberta Beverage Container has a great return. Encorp has a great return. I mean, those are proven system. Right. Okay. So I and I appreciate the comment that it really we need to keep in mind what it is we're trying to achieve. Really, when we design any of these things, we, we yeah. need to have the end goal in mind. Yeah, the goal has to be very clearly set. I mean, we're, we're making sure that packaging doesn't end up in our natural environment. What's the best methodology to ensuring this? And then what's the cost to do that? Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series. Tune in to the next episode for the second half of this podcast with service providers. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta's Circular Podcast on iTunes and Google Podcasts for more from the RCA or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.